I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome back to the forgotten origins of fairy tales, the podcast where I look into the truth behind our best loved children's stories. And this week, I've chosen to explore the history of not one, but two fairy tales. And I've chosen to do this because they both have one common theme. Three. The fables in question are The Three Little Pigs and Goldilocks and the Three Bears. So, let's get started. As far as we know, The Three Little Pigs doesn't go back as far as other fables, which actually surprised me. For some reason, I assumed it would have gone back to the Middle Ages. In fact, it was written in the mid-19th century. So the earliest version was released as an untitled story in 1853. And bizarrely, it had pixies in the place of pigs and a fox instead of a wolf. It was published in English Forests, English Forests and Forest Trees, Historical, Legendary and Descriptive, and was also recorded in Folklore of Devonshire, in Fraser's Magazine, Volume 8, in 1873. In this version, the Pixies lived in a domestic colony and must choose what kind of house they want to live in. The first chooses to dwell in a wooden hut, the second a stone hut, and the third in an iron hut. Personally, I've never heard of an iron hut, but we're going to go with it. Then a fox shows up in search of prey, knocks at each door and calls, Let me in, let me in, before breaking the house down. The first two pixies are devoured as their houses are destroyed by the animal, But the third clever pixie who lives in the iron house is safe because the fox can't break in. At the end, though, the fox finally captures the pixie in a box. But the pixie uses a magical charm to trick him into switching places and the fox suffocates to death. But it wasn't until 1890 that the story made arguably its best-known appearance in English fairy tales by American collector and writer Joseph Jacobs. And this is where the pixies are replaced by pigs. It's unclear why the switch was made and many just believe it was actually a simple mistake that when Jacobs first heard the tale, he misheard the word pixies as pigs. Maybe he just wasn't familiar with a Devonshire accent. But regardless, the story became an overnight sensation, selling out across America and all over Europe. And there were similar stories published around the world around the same time, all of which had the same fundamental themes. 
An article published in 1877 observed that the English tale had a lot in common with an African-American story about seven pigs, which also included a persistent wolf and a dramatic chimney pot finale. And Joel Chandler Harris's 1883 collection, Nights with Uncle Remus, contains an, contains an almost identical tale featuring six pigs rather than seven or three. And this suggests that the tale was part of African-American folklore in the early 19th century, predating what many consider to be the original. And the Italians have their own version as well, but their animal of choice are geese. And in some areas, human main characters seem even more popular, as in the Moroccan tale of Nikik. A sultan and his seven sons travel to Mecca, but one by one, the sons lose courage and build houses, one with walls of honey, another with walls of date paste, but the seventh and smallest son, Nikik, builds an iron house and faces off against a ghoul and survives. There was even an early 20th century version called The Wolf and Seven Young Kids, which starred a goblin and seven little breeze sprites. This was The Gradual Fairy by Alice Brown, published in 1911. So this is probably the first nod we get again to, to Pixies. So it's fair to say this tale was a global phenomenon. But the story was changed in 1920, as some speculated it was a little bit too gory. And instead of the first two pigs getting devoured by a hungry wolf, they ran out of their sibling's house. So in the end, all three survived. Because, you know, Little Red Riding Hood getting eaten was fine. But pigs was a big no-no. Hmm. Logical. The overarching message seems to be that plucky resourcefulness and careful planning pay off and help protect us from potential harm. There's also a degree of self-sufficiency. The mother cannot look after the three little pigs, so they must stand on their own two or four feet and make their own way in the world. And this theme sounds an awful lot like the American dream, which would explain why the tale was so popular across the United States in the 1930s. So let's move on to Goldilocks and the Three Bears, shall we? Now, the reason I've snuck this fable into the same episode as the Three Pigs isn't just because they both work around the rule of three but also because they were both released around the same time. Goldilocks and the Three Bears was first officially recorded in 1837 by English poet Robert Southby in his collection called The Doctor. No relation at all to Doctor Who, I checked. But he found the story when travelling around Canada. In fact, the tale many consider to be the original was written by Eleanor Muir, who created the tale for her young nephew in 1831. But this isn't like the version we know today, though. Oh, uh, no. In fact, this one doesn't even involve a character named Goldilocks. Or any young girl at all, for that matter. Nope. The protagonist for this tale was, in fact, a grumpy 
ugly, nameless old woman who decides to break into the bear's house on a whim and to have a bit of a sneak around. We still have the three bowls in Muir's fable, but instead of porridge, which was added by Southby, the bowls are filled with milk. The first section is pretty recognisable. She tries the first, it's too hot, the second too cold, and the third is just right. But then it firmly breaks away from today's fairy tale. The bears go into a murderous rage when they find the old woman and try everything they can think of to kill her. First, they try to burn her, but she manages to put herself out. Then they attempt to drown her in a nearby lake, but her clothes make her float to the surface. So eventually they come to the very logical conclusion that the only way to make sure she's really dead is to stick her on top of St Paul's Churchyard steeple. And they do. Southby decided this was a tad too gory and instead his old lady jumped out of the window and ran away. It's believed that these alleged originals got their inspiration from the English fable Scapefoot which dates back to the 17th century and has a fox as the intruder and bears, who are just three grown bears who live in a huge castle, chuck him out of their highest window. But he does survive. So it wasn't until 12 years after Southby's version that the little girl was inserted as the protagonist by Joseph Cundall in his work Treasury of Pleasure Books for Young Children in 1849. She was named Silverhair and was a plain child with a scrawny frame. The character was then dubbed Silverlocks in Aunt Maver's Nursery Tales in 1858. Next, she became Goldenhair around 1868 in Aunt Friendly's Nursery Book. And finally, in Old Nursery Stories and Rhymes, illustrated by John Hassel in 1904, she became Goldilocks. And the name has been used ever since. But the bears changed over time too. They went from being three huge menacing animals to a cute family affair with a hunger for sweet breakfasts. Like in The Three Little Pigs, there's a theme of three, which is commonly used in many fairy tales, but Goldilocks and the Three Bears is perhaps where it's the most prominent. In Moore's original version, before entering the house, the old woman takes three actions. Looking in a window, looking through the keyhole, and then lifting the latch. There are also three chairs, three bowls of porridge, three beds, and most importantly, three bears. Author Christopher Brooker characterises this as the dialectical three where the first is wrong in one way, the second in another, and the third is just right. And we see this in The Three Little Pigs. The first house made of straw is too flimsy, the second made of sticks is too brittle, but the third made of brick is just right. Another unique element to Goldilocks is there's no clear moral ending. There's a clear lesson that you shouldn't wander into other people's houses. But in the end, she just runs away, unharmed, 
and the three bears subsequently go about their daily lives, which is pretty unusual in a fable. Usually someone ends up dead, like the wolf in The Three Little Pigs, or they end up married. So there we have it. Those are the origins of two of our best known children's fables. Next week, we're travelling high up in the sky as I explore why Jack really did buy those magic beans. After next week, I will be taking a one-week break, but I'll be back again on the 8th of September. If you enjoyed this podcast, do check out my Instagram page, Forgotten Origins Podcast. That's all one word, Forgotten Origins Podcast, where I post regular content and will soon be posting design ideas for the upcoming merch launch. So don't miss out.